Brothers and sisters, have you ever been mistaken for someone you're not? Happens to me just about every Sunday, I feel like. I stand up there at the doors to Regal Cinema before worship, and, and when there's a movie showing, people are coming up, and at least one person usually asks me, uh, which auditorium is my movie playing in today? And I, I always tell them, oh, just go to Auditorium 7. That's where you want to be. And I think usually they, they figure it out that I, I don't actually work here at Regal and that there's no movie showing in this auditorium. And I've also seen this mistaken identity thing happen to my wife, actually. Uh, a couple years ago, we were back at my, my parents' church, and after the worship service, uh, some people came up, and they, they said something to my youngest brother, who's standing right next to Jennifer, and they said, oh, it's so nice of you to bring your girlfriend to church with you here today. Awkward. And I think maybe the most awkward case of mistaken identity I've been involved in is uh, one time I was helping out with a, a mission team in a, at a church in Austin, Texas, and uh, me and another guy were just doing some community surveys in the neighborhood, knocking on some doors, and knocked on one guy's door, and uh, right away, before we even got a word in, he immediately said, yeah, come on in. And we thought, whoa, really friendly guy, all right. And went into his living room, just having some small, small talk and getting to know him a little bit. The guy kept making these weird references to his TV. Kept saying, oh, you guys can turn on the TV and check it out if you want. Or if you want, I, I can move the TV to a, a different spot for you. He said, oh, no, that's okay. Thanks for offering. Don't, we don't really need that. Strange. But we kept talking to him, and, and after a while, he, he started to walk out of the room. He said, all right, I'll leave you guys to it. And we just looked at him with this really confused look, and he paused, and he saw this realization dawn on his face. Wait. You aren't the cable guys, are you? <laughs> Classic case of mistaken identity. A little bit awkward. Maybe you've had it happen to you too. Sometimes you're mistaken for someone you're really not. And you maybe feel like that's happening again today, right now. Right? Jesus, you might feel like he has you mistaken for someone else when he says, You, yes, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Why might we feel like Jesus is mistaken about that? Well, being the salt of the earth, being the light of the world, that's, that's kind of a big responsibility. For the whole world, the whole earth, it's like getting mistaken as a brain surgeon. Uh, we are not qualified. You don't want probably any of us anywhere close to an operating table for that kind of thing. And, and same with Jesus. Like, are you crazy, Jesus? You must have me mistaken for someone else. There must be someone else who fits this description better than I do. Not me. Because being the salt of the earth, first of all, that one means battling against the decay of sin in this world. We are to be the, the preservative that keeps things from getting rotten. We are to extend God's purity to others. We're to season everything we do and say with the good-tasting salt of the gospel message. We are to be the first line of defense against sin and Satan for other people in this world. Like salt preserves 
meat from getting rotten by killing that bacteria. We are to preserve the world against sin. You see why we might feel like Jesus is mistaken about all this? Uh, How could we ever live up to this? There's a lot of rotten things happening in the world. You've seen it. 20 more people killed in a a mass shooting in El Paso, nine more in Dayton, Ohio. This world is eating itself like it always has been. How, How are we supposed to slow it down? How can we be salt? What is Jesus expecting us to really do about all this? And he says, you are the light of the world. We are to be beacons of hope and light for people walking in the dark. We're to point the way with the light of the gospel, the light of God's word, point to Jesus. We are to chase away the darkness by letting God's love reflect through our lives. And right, we are, we are not to hide our light under a bowl, but to let it shine out, to let our faith shine out for everyone to see it. We are the light of the world. Are we really, though? You know, I'm perfectly comfortable with Jesus calling himself the light of the world. He does that. Calling me the light of the world? Uh, maybe I'm not up for it. If, if I am a light, I'm a pretty dim light bulb. And, and I feel like there's a lot of people, right, that would rather kind of huddle in the, the darkness of unbelief than step into the light of faith. That's what they want. So what's God expecting me to do about it? We might feel like Jesus doesn't quite get who we really are. He, he maybe thinks we're a person who we're really not. Don't feel quite qualified to be the salt of the earth or the light of the world. And maybe don't really feel all that qualified to be what Jesus talks about in the next verses either. You realize Jesus, he's pretty serious about God's law, isn't he? He, unlike what a lot of people thought, didn't come to abolish the law or throw away the Old Testament moral laws, the Ten Commandments. He came to more fully explain them to make sure we knew how important they are. So he tells us we are to be light and salt We are also to be law keepers. In fact, Jesus said, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And keeping these commandments of God and his word, that's hard enough. Also teaching them to an unbelieving world that constantly wants to kick against what God's law says in his word. Yeah, um, Not an easy task if you've ever tried. And then in verse 20, Jesus gives a statement that was kind of designed to to shock his hearers. It, It definitely shocks us. says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus attacked the Pharisees throughout his ministry for being hypocrites pretty often. But here, he is admitting that at least from an outward perspective, a Pharisee was about as righteous looking of a person you're ever going to see. Pharisees, they they tithed meticulously down to the penny. They fasted usually more than once a week. They were very careful to keep every ceremonial law of purity. Pharisees, they had formal training in the law of Moses and they then taught it to others. On top of that, Pharisees, they, they figured, oh, there's not a, enough laws in God's word. Let's add some more of our own traditions. 
And so they made even more man-made laws on top of the ones in God's word. And here's the kicker. Jesus says, even if you could keep all supposed 613 laws of the Pharisees, even then, your righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees, while they looked like they're doing pretty good outwardly, often they, they were only obeying the letter of the law rather than keeping the spirit of the law. Jesus points that out to the Pharisees a lot of times in his ministry and kind of points it out to us. If we're just kind of outwardly going through the motions of keeping God's law, it's not really going to cut it. If the heart's not behind the action, then it's kind of an empty action, an action God doesn't really want. Remember when I, I told you there's some tough truths to swallow in the Sermon on the Mount? Well, yeah, this is kind of what I was talking about. And Jesus has given some pretty heavy law. He's laying it down for his people here. And if anyone has kind of misunderstood his teaching up to this point, they really can't do so any longer. Jesus is saying, if you want to get to heaven by your own merit, you're going to have to be more holy than the holiest of holy people, even a Pharisee. But doesn't Jesus get that that's not the kind of person I am? Jesus knows me. I'm a sinner. I'm a lawbreaker. I'm a, I'm a dim light bulb. I'm pretty bland tasting salt. But you're maybe kind of already starting to catch what Jesus is really trying to teach us here. These, voice, these verses, they, they point out that if we're trying to earn our way to heaven by keeping God's law perfectly, we're in trouble. There's, there's no way we're going to be able to get to heaven that route. So Jesus' point is to turn our attention to him, to turn our attention to his righteousness. Jesus wants us to know where to look, not ourselves, but to him. Jesus is telling you, be what you are. Be a person who depends on my righteousness. Look, it's not going to work otherwise. Jesus tells you to be what you are, a person who looks to him for righteousness. It's Jesus, he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law, to give us a full understanding of the law, and then to fully obey it for us, right? He came to fulfill the law first for us, and then to fulfill the law in us. Because our righteousness could never be enough. Even if we could keep all 613 laws of the Pharisees, but Jesus' righteousness is enough. And that's what the Bible is all about from beginning to end. That's, that's the story of the Bible. You've heard it. Many places, Galatians chapter 4, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, you and me, 
that we might receive the full rights of sons. Romans chapter 5, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification and not guilty verdict that brings life for all people. So also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Right? This is what it's all about. It's all about God's holy law being kept by God's holy son for unholy people. And the results are incredible. Jesus changes who we are. We are forgiven. We are children and heirs of God. We are even more exceedingly righteous in God's eyes than the most righteous-looking Pharisee. And so, Jesus, he can't be wrong when he tells us who we are. He can't be wrong when, when he calls us the salt of the earth and the light of the world because that's who he made us to be. And you look back at what Jesus says here, notice he's, he's not saying, oh, I wish you would be the light of the world or you might be the salt of the earth. It's not even a command. He's not saying, be salt, be light. Just stating a fact. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He's simply saying, be what you are. Jesus lets us know that what we are is found in who he has made us to be. We are to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth, because that's who Jesus says we are. And, and these words, they're not meant to threaten us. Yes, they challenge us. But these words can actually be comforting to us too. Because it's not about Jesus measuring how many lumens of, of brightness were given off as a light. It's not about him doing some taste test to see if we're really salty enough. If we are in Christ, then we simply will shine out. If we are in Christ, then we simply will be salt of the earth. And even if we're kind of bland tasting salt or kind of a dim light bulb at times, it doesn't change the fact you're still salt. You're still light. No matter how bright, no matter how seasoned you are, Last week, we looked at the Beatitudes, right? Jesus telling us how, how God pours out his blessings on us as believers. Now, it's kind of switching gears here. This is about how believers then get to be blessings in this world. Being the salt of the earth, being the light of the world, this is an honor, a pretty cool privilege we get to, to undertake. And Christians, maybe from a worldly perspective, look kind of weak, kind of worthless, but we we get to be the defenders of this world. We get to be the salt that preserves this world against the decay of sin. We get to be beacons of light and hope for those wandering in the dark. That's kind of a cool privilege we get to take, take on, isn't it? And we know that Jesus has made us what we are. That gives us the strength to actually carry out what we are. Jesus gives us this mountain view of our role in this world. And really, he even tells us we are actually on top of a mountain, a city on a hill. We are a mountain view for others. That city on a hill, a bright city on a dark night, a beacon of safety and hope for people wandering in the dark below. We are also told by Jesus to go on the offensive with our light. Because light 
It wants to burst forth. It will if you give it the chance. Light always wins in a battle with darkness. It always chases away the night. Forgiveness and love chases away sin and hate. And as long as we're not hiding our, our light under a bowl, it's going to shine out. It'll do what Jesus says, even if we don't see it happening, that our good deeds will glorify our Father in heaven and give praise to Him. Maybe it doesn't even matter how dim or bright of a light bulb we are. Even a dim light bulb gives off light. Probably the best thing about being a light is we're not generating this light on our own. We are simply reflecting it. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. The Apostle John says, in him was life. And that life was the light of men. Jesus is the sun. You're the moon. Not a light maker, a light reflector. And that makes our job a whole lot easier when we're just reflecting the light. Then by nature, Christ's love, his gospel will flow through us in sight of others to be that beacon of hope, that, that beacon of a bright city on a hill for those walking in darkness. And maybe then that whole being the salt of the earth thing, that may be a little bit more of a challenge, a tougher battle. Jesus had said, the one who teaches others according to the commands of God's law will be great in the kingdom of heaven. That's kind of what's involved here in being salt. To combat the decay of sin in this world, we first got to point out the problem. Uh, first, right, you identify the cancer before removing it. And just like announcing to someone they have cancers, it's not fun or enjoyable for anyone involved. In the same way, it's, it's not fun or enjoyable for anyone involved when we're pointing out sin, pointing out a breaking of God's law, but, but it's necessary to, to show God's law and the sin that comes when it's broken so that the sin can be identified and removed so that decay that sin brings into people's lives, we can cut it out for them to help. It's a necessary step. And, and maybe realize being the salt on, on the earth, it's not going to get you a whole lot of love from the world. They might rather wish you were honey rather than salt. But Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, and so neither will we. We'll point out the law where it's broken for the ultimate purpose of pointing people, crushed sinners, to the one who kept God's law perfectly for them, to Christ's righteousness. Being the salt of the earth and being the light of the world, they go hand in hand. Because God's law and God's gospel go hand in hand. They're both important. So be what you are. Be one who depends on Jesus' righteousness. Jesus says you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Simply be what you are. You get to let people taste and see that the Lord is good. To season this world with the message of Christ's love. To let Christ's forgiveness shine out like a bright city on top of a hill. Be what you are. No better than that. You are what you are. Amen.